entering Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And um, so we're going to read that and then we're going to talk. This can be found on your inside bulletin, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Again, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a, a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, I was surfing channels recently. You know, we've got uh, Verizon, and there's a gazillion channels on Verizon. I don't know. Do you remember back in the day when there were just three channels? Not so with Verizon or whatever you got. You know, literally you could spend your entire life on the cable stations because there's so many great things. You know, I'm going along, and lo and behold, there's the A-Team. So you could watch the A-Team. And lo and behold, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life. Granted, it's April, you know, and you could just keep watching. Uh, but, you know, there's one thing I noticed as I was surfing through the channels. How many shows have to do with celebrities? Have you noticed this? This big craze, we've got to get a celebrity on our show. Dancing with the Stars is probably the biggest one. But, you know, as I was surfing through, I've seen other things like Celebrity Apprentice. And they're talking about doing a celebrity survivor. I even saw a show, it was a series called Help, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Has anyone seen this show? And they get these like B-rate celebrities on this survivor-like show. They had Bruce Jenner, Robin Leach, and Lou Diamond Phillips on Help, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Um, it's funny, this thing that we're fascinated with celebrities. I read this interesting uh, story in People Magazine. This was interesting. Did you hear about these people that gate-crashed the White House? Pretending they were celebrities. Here, here was it from People Magazine. Just days ago, they were hobnobbing with Vice President Joe Biden, Slumdog Millionaire's composer, and Washington, D.C.'s elite. Now, a Virginia socialite couple is being investigated by the Secret Service for being perhaps history's most successful gate-crashers. Dressed in a tux and a fancy sari, Tarek and Michelle Sahali somehow managed to make it through Marine Guards, Secret Service details, and White House staff to rub elbows with some of the most powerful people in the world. I think we have an image for it right here. Here we are, these gate crashers meeting with Obama. They had their picture taken with Raheem uh, uh, Emanuel, the, the chief of staff, Joseph Biden, the vice president, and some of the Marines who were supposed to have kept them out. 
350 people on the guest list, they get through and all of a sudden they're treated as VIPs, important people, celebrities. And then the story went out. You can go ahead and change the photo. How would they be treated now if they were to walk into that same party? Totally different, wouldn't they? Because identity determines action. Now, we sort of chide at these people or, you know, and so forth about celebrities, but who hasn't done it as well? You know, we hear that there's this important person coming along, and all of a sudden we sort of change our attitude. We change the way we act because they're real important or something, and so we're going to put our best foot forward. And then we discover they're not who they said they were going to be. No, it's not a celebrity. It's just Frank or Bill. And our attitude totally changes. It was just a case of mistaken identity. Identity determines action. Well, this passage is all about identity and mistaken identity. See, there's a big focus in the New Testament on this final week of Jesus' life. All of the Gospels devote an inordinate amount of time to it. In fact, the book of John, half of the book of John, just deals with this last week of Jesus' life because it's all about Jesus showing his identity. For the, for the, the first part of Jesus' ministry, he stayed away, he's been in lonely places, he's performed miracles, and what does he say to everyone? See that you don't tell anyone about this. But here, Jesus doesn't hide anything. He's walking right into Jerusalem, determined to show the world who he is. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a time of great gladness, but it's also a time of great sadness because you have this crowd who is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Many of this same crowd, four or five days later, will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How can we, how can we reconcile these two things? See, it's a case of mistaken identity. The people wanted a king who would serve them, but God provides a king who will save them. What I want to do in this sermon is I want us to get into the story. I want us to be a part of the crowd because the reality is we're confronted with the exact same question right now in 2011. Who is this king of glory? And depending on who we recognize, the king who will serve us or the king who will save us will depend on how we act because identity determines action. There are three things that I want to go over in my sermon. Number one, the king that the crowds want. We're going to look at this king that the crowds want. And then we're going to move into the king that God sends. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with a king we must choose. Number one, first, the king that the crowds want. We have to get a little background on what's going on here, understand the history. The Passover feast is beginning. You will recall that God gave a command that every year the Israelites would celebrate this Passover, this seven-day Passover feast, to commemorate God taking the Israelites out of Egypt. And this word Passover, if you'll remember it, uh, is this whole issue where the Israelites were in slavery, but God said that I will kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians, and that will be the final miracle that I will do, and then the Egyptians will let you go. But so that the destroying angel will not kill you, Israelites, you are to take a lamb, and you are to slaughter the lamb, and you are to take some blood and put it on the door of your house, and the destroying angel will pass over 
your house so you will not be destroyed. So that's what this passage is all about. That's what this festival is all about, commemorating the Passover. Well, Jesus has been, the day before Jesus, he goes into this triumphal entry, he is in Bethany. And if you'll remember, Bethany was the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so one of the other gospels showed that they've had, it, they've had a feast for Jesus to celebrate Jesus. And he's come to Bethany for this feast in his honor. And now the day starts and Jesus gets up and he indicates that he is going to Jerusalem, which is two miles away. And the people start talking. People in Bethany, they run ahead of him and they go into Jerusalem and they tell people, look, Jesus is coming, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. And the people from Bethany start following behind him. And all of a sudden, this flash mob appears. The first original flash mob. You know a flash mob like in a mall where all of a sudden these people come out of nowhere and you got this crazy thing going on? There's this flash mob that's appearing here as Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. Well, Jesus does something very bizarre here. Jesus says, look, I want you to go to this village that we're walking by, Bethphage, and there will be a donkey and, a, and it's full waiting for you, and I want you to grab them, and I want you to bring them here. And if anyone says anything to you, simply say, the Lord needs them. Now, that's bizarre. How would Jesus, A, know that the donkey would be there? How would he know that by simply saying, the Lord needs them, they would give him up? It would literally be like two people coming up to me while I was in my car and saying, hey, we need your car. What? The Lord needs it. Okay, here you go. Take the car. doesn't make any sense, and yet they do. What's going on here? Jesus is acting like the king. See, the king has the power to requisition whatever he needs for his purposes, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Well, the people recognize what's going on here. Because the king, whenever a king, this is the way history worked, whenever a king would go into a city, if he was riding on a stallion, he would be declaring war. He would be in a state of war. But if a king came on a donkey, he would be declaring peace. So they see what's going on, that the king is coming in on the donkey. And they, and they remember the prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, Say to the daughter of Zion, the daughter of Zion is Israel, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fault of a donkey. Excuse me, the foal of a donkey. And so what do the people do? They take off their cloaks and they lay them at Jesus' feet. That was a symbol of kingship in the Old Testament to indicate that he was royalty. We still do it now. You know, when a visiting dignitary comes to the United States, what do we do? We roll out the royal carpet. See, they're laying down their cloaks. The king is coming. They recognize him as a king. But they not only recognize him as a king, they recognize him as the Messiah king, the anointed one. See, they've been waiting all through the Old Testament. It speaks of this one who will come, the Messiah, the king who will come to liberate Israel, to vanquish Israel's enemies and to bring them to glory. But Israel has been under oppression for over 500 years. Over 500 years, they've been occupied by some other power. The latest power of choice, the Romans, who came in 63 BC and have been ruling the Israelites with an iron fist. And so all of these prophecies that they've had here have started to become political. 
They're seeing this king that's coming as a great warrior king. And he's the son of David. So he's a warrior king. And he's going to come. He's going to liberate us from our political oppression. And he's going to restore our kingdom to glory. And so what do they do? They cut branches. And they start saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're actually singing the last part of a psalm, Psalm 118. Psalm 130, we actually did this in our, in our call to worship. Psalm 113 to 118 are called the Hillel Psalms, the praise psalms. And they were instructed to be sung every Passover. And the last Passover song that's sung after the Passover is Psalm 118. It's a messianic psalm. See, your king comes to you. Uh, cut your boughs and go with him up to the altar with a festal procession. They're cutting these boughs. They're singing Hosanna. The Messiah King has come. And the town is entirely stirred up by this. This word in the Greek is literally like the town is shaken like a tornado or a hurricane. Who is this? And they call out Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. And the crowd is going crazy. And no one thinks to stop and say, time out. We asked Jesus, are you the prophet? And Jesus said, no. He said he was the son of God. And isn't the Messiah supposed to come from Bethlehem, not from Nazareth? See, no one's asking these questions because no one cares. We've got our king. It's time to overthrow the Romans. This is it. Let's go to the temple. It's on. They must have been so struck as Jesus stopped. In another gospel account, it literally says that he stops and he starts weeping. Weeping over Jerusalem, saying, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, that Jerusalem will ultimately be destroyed because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. People don't care. Hey, you know, whatever he wants to do, let's, let's keep going. Let's go to the temple. And Jesus goes to the temple. They're thinking to be uh, coronated. And what does he do? He literally becomes enraged. And he starts taking the money changers in the temple and he starts throwing everything out. He's going crazy here. And the whole crowd is just looking at him aghast. You can just see him just dropping their palm branches. I don't understand what's going on. See, it's a case of mistaken identity. They were looking for the king who would serve them. But God was bringing a king who would save them. I remember in college uh, doing something crazy. You know, when you're in college, you do these crazy things. It was my first year in college, and I was in a dorm with a bunch of guys, and you would go get your mail, you know, in a certain place. And this was back in the day when they still gave phone books out. I don't even know if they give phone books out, but you could grab a phone book. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't anything like that. And there were all of these phone books for the students to take. But nobody was taking any of the phone books. So me and my buddies, we had a great idea. We took them all, like 2,000 of them. And we brought them up to our suite, and we took all the furniture out, and we made a furniture suite out of phone books. Okay, nice sofa. We just started stacking them, you know, with the things in the back. Nice sofa. And then we made a chair, and we made another chair, and a coffee table, and a couple side tables here. Entirely, an entire furniture suite out of phone books. And a little tape here and there to kind of put it. And lo and behold, there was our ensemble. And people looked at it, and it looked like a furniture ensemble of 
phone books, but something started to happen as we sat in it. Very, very hard, first of all. Second thing, you know how phone books can start to get flexible? As we sat in the phone books trying to get comfortable, sooner or later they started breaking down. They couldn't stand the weight of what we put on it, the assumptions that we could make our own furniture started to break down. And before you knew it, we no longer had a furniture set. We just had a mound of 2,000 phone books in our suite. Well, what does that have to do with anything that I'm talking about? It's a good question. See, we tried to make our own furniture set. We tried to put it together, and we wanted it to look like it. It was supposed to act like it, but it couldn't act like it because it was a bunch of phone books. It wasn't a couch, and it couldn't bear up under the weight of our expectations. See, isn't that us with God as well? It's easy to chide these people in Jerusalem for not getting it, but don't we do the same thing? I follow Jesus because he makes me feel better about myself. I follow Jesus because he's going to give me a better marriage. I follow Jesus because I want a community in which to belong. I follow Jesus because he'll make me successful. And what happens when he doesn't? What happens when my marriage is not miraculously better? What happens when the pink slip comes? What happens when we experience disappointment? Maybe some of you right now are going through disappointment. You're having financial troubles and things just aren't working out for you and you've got all these barriers and you can't seem to get ahead and you're scratching your head and you're disappointed and you're frustrated and you look at God and you're saying, why are you doing this to me? We had a deal. I was going to worship you and you were going to give me what I want. See, we want a butler, but God gives us a savior. See, if we don't worship God for who he really is, the Bible calls that idolatry. Jesus is just a hired gun that we've brought in to take care of our problems. But the scriptures tell us not to worship him for what he does but to worship him for who he is. We must decide who this king of glory is because identity determines action. We want a God who will serve us, but God provides a king who will save us. Well, now I want to move into this king. We've talked about the king the crowds want. I want to talk about the king that God gives. See, it would be easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this kind of forget about all the stuff that's going on here. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. He rides in on the donkey. He understands the illusion there. He accepts the praise of the people. As they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You don't see Jesus saying, shh, don't say that. No, 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 keep that quiet. In fact, in a parallel gospel passage, the Pharisees come and they rebuke they say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples for saying that. And Jesus says, if they were to keep quiet, the very stones would cry out. Jesus accepts the praise of people. But Jesus is not coming for praise. He knows what's going to happen with the people. Jesus doesn't come for praise. Jesus comes for a purpose. And so what does he do? He picks a fight. Jesus deliberately provokes the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Jesus is 
putting it in their eyes because Jesus understands what is to occur. Just three chapters before, four chapters in, in Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. See, Jesus was after a much bigger enemy than the Israelites wanted. Israelites just wanted the Romans taken out of the way. They, but Jesus was after more than salvation just for Israel. He was for saving a people from every tribe and every nation. And he was more than just overthrowing a political power. Jesus was after destroying the biggest enemy of life, the biggest enemy of humanity, which is death. Jesus against death, winner take all. See, we all have problems all around the world, but there's one universal problem that all of mankind shares. We're all going to die. What is death at the end of the day? We have it even in our criminal system, the death penalty. See, death is something that's a result of sin. We want to say that the problem is out there. It's the Romans, or it's my boss, or it's my spouse, but the problem is in here. Jesus said, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These are the things that make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't make him unclean. See, Jesus is saying the problem is inside. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. We all have sinned and gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the wages of sin is death. We're all in the same boat together. And so what is this? Think of this Passover feast. What are they even trying to do? They're trying to stave off death. How do we push back death so when the destroying angel comes over, he will not kill me as well? For the past 1,500 years, Israel has been celebrating this Passover feast, sort of like pushing back our balance on a credit card. But sooner or later, it's coming due. I remember a time when Leon and I, when I was leaving Young Life staff, you know, it's kind of funny how God uses money in ministry. When God calls you to ministry, somehow he makes it all work out. I don't know how it all works out, but when he calls you out of ministry, it's not working out. And God was calling me out and I wasn't hearing it. And so he was turning up, the, turning up the issue financially. And I found myself, credit cards starting to mount a little bit. And I'm worried about being able to pay that credit card. And what do you do? Well, how comes another credit card, right? Transfer it over. Zero balance for the first three months. And you can get in that game where you keep balancing, you keep pushing. But sooner or later, as we all know, the bill comes due. And by God's grace, that wasn't a long time for us. But it is an issue with us. See, the issue is we have to find a way to stave off death. We want a king who will serve us, but God provides a king who will save us. The crowd was right. This is the day that the Messiah came. They were right when they said, Hosanna, which literally means save us. Because the king comes in not on a warrior stallion, not on that death horse of war that we see in Revelation. He comes on a donkey. 
He comes to declare peace. And Jesus comes to bring sacrifice. See, one of the stipulations in the Passover requirements was that every family was to come and they were to bring a lamb for the sacrifice. And Jesus is an obedient God-man. He comes to bring the sacrifice, but He doesn't come to bring a lamb. He comes and brings Himself. It was Mahatma Gandhi who said, a man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. What is tragic about that day is that no one saw it. No one recognized it. The whole town is stirred up. Who is this? Ah, he's the prophet. He's the guy from Nazareth. See, we must answer this question ourselves. Who is the king that we will serve, that we will worship? Is this imposter king? Or is it the king of glory who has come to save us? Because our lives depend on it. These are life and death questions. The wages of sin is death. Sooner or later, the angel will come. How will we stop it? The lamb has been offered. We can take his blood and we can put it on the door. We can embrace Him for who He is. Acknowledge Him not as the servant, not as the butler, but as the Savior. So what must we do? We have to get rid of our deals. Get rid of our contracts that we've made with God. Our implicit agreements, tit for tat. And to embrace His sacrifice. To worship Him not for what He can do for us, but for what and who He is. We want a king who will serve us. God provides a king who will save us. This brings me to my final point. The king that we must choose. There was one crowd that day, two kings, the imposter and the true king. Which would they choose? For us, day to day, we must ask the same question. Which will we choose? For some of us, we haven't chosen him as that king of glory who saves us. But for many of us, we have. The reality is day to day, many of us choose both of these people. The God who will save us and the God who will serve us. And we miss out. I want to, for the next just couple of minutes, do a little diagnostic on our hearts. I want to perform an MRI to look at our hearts to see if, in fact, we are guilty, too, of choosing this servant king and what we can do about it. The first way we know that we've also chosen him as our butler is that we discover that we're bitter at our lives. Maybe you're bitter at your life. You're upset. You're angry. You're frustrated at your lot in life. The way things are turning out for you. You didn't think that it would turn out this way. And you find yourself bitter at God. See, that's a sure sign that we've chosen the servant king because the lie is that we think that we know how to run our life better than God. Anybody seen this new movie out, Arthur? New movie out, Arthur, there's a, whoever that guy is, I forget his name. The original one was Dudley Moore. Arthur's this rich guy, I mean, insanely rich. He has everything that he could want, and he's coddled by his people, and so he goes out, and what does he do? He can buy anything, have anything that he wants, and he makes an utter mess of his life because of the truth of the matter is he doesn't know how to run his life. 
as I look back upon my life and I think of the prayers and the hopes that I had when I was 20 years old, you know, I bet you 96% of my prayers were wrong. You know, I thought, I want to marry this gal. I was in a serious relationship with a gal. I thought she was the one. I thought this was the career, and I pray, God, God, God. You know, if I had had the things that I wanted, my life would have turned out to be a mess. The scary thing is that now that in my 40s, what's the percentage now? See, we don't know how to run our lives. So the antidote to this is to recognize that God is more than the king that can save us. He's the heavenly father who cares for us. Father really does know best. So what can we do? Surrender our life to God. You know my favorite person in this whole story? It's the guy who owned the donkey. Right? Guy who owns the donkey. Walk into the village. What are you doing with my donkey? The Lord needs it. Okay. See, that's what God's calling us to do with our lives. The Lord needs it. The Lord wants your life. He wants your heart. Give it to him. Let him be in control. And finally, in this section, give thanks to God for what he's done, for what he's doing for you. Think of all the blessings that we have. Food, clothing, maybe some family, maybe friends, maybe you know, there's always somebody that's worse off than you and me. And when we focus on how bitter our life is, we miss all of the gifts that God gives to us. So as we give our life to God and we thank God, we will realign ourselves and get away from that imposter king and get with the right king. Here's the second MRI on you. Maybe your, your life can be characterized as impatient and demanding. You're always impatient the timetable isn't moving. Why aren't things moving faster? Why aren't people moving faster? And so we're demanding with people. We're impatient, never actually staying and enjoying right here because we're always thinking ahead. See, what we're go what's going on there is we have that imposter king. God, it's my timetable. Get with the program. We had a deal. I'd worship you. You'd take care of me. The antidote is to recognize that the true king has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Replace your future with his future. Give your date book to him. God is right on schedule. God is never late. Here's number three, diagnostic. Your life can be characterized as unforgiving of others. You won't let go of past hurts. You hold on to a grudge. You're not willing to forgive. You're not willing to let it go. You're going to hold on to that thing tight even though it's eating you up inside. See, that reveals the, the way that we see our relationship with God, the imposter king. I've got a contract with you, God. Okay, you're supposed to take care of me. But God says, no, 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 no. The antidote is to recognize that my love for you is unconditional. You don't earn my love. I give it to you freely. Romans 5.8, for God demonstrates his love in this, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. For when you see Jesus correctly, you will see others. Then here's the final one. 
Final diagnostic, final MRI, and I'll close with this one. You see, your life can be characterized as being self-defeating and self-defacing. You're always down on yourself. Our talk is always negative. I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. I can't do anything right. Nobody likes me. And we sabotage our life. Reveals the imposter king that we've somehow blown it in our deal with God. So God has given me what I deserve. My just desserts because I didn't measure up. As a pastor, I've counseled people and I've shared with them uh, the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and shown them from the scriptures and they just say to me, but I, I can't, I can't forgive myself. You know, the truth of the matter is, it's not that they can't forgive themselves, it's that their idol won't forgive them. The idol that they worship. Because idols don't forgive. They're just stone and metal. The antidote is to recognize that God gave his son for you. Not because of anything you've done. People come to me and they say, Carlos, I'm a horrible person. I say, guess what? You're far worse than you think you are. <laughs> and Christ is far more gracious than you could ever imagine. Recognize that you didn't choose God. God chose you. Not because of anything you can do, but simply because he loves you. We want a king who will serve us, and God provides a king who will save us. How do we move from worshiping this imposter God to knowing him as the real God? Get to know him. Get to know him. The crowd didn't know him. They were too busy with their plastic God to really see and talk to Jesus. How do we get to know him? We spend time with him. I want to encourage you this Easter, every day, just take some time. Get aside. You know how Jesus said, go into your room in secret and pray to your Father and He will reward you. If you get to know Jesus, if you seek Him, you will surely find Him. Take 15 minutes. Take whatever to get aside to get to know the real true God. And secondly, read His Word. God's Word is His love letter for us. It is the Word of God and so it is God speaking to us. Every day, just take some time to read God's Word, to hear His thoughts for you. Some of you may say, I don't, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to go. I'm going to show you in just a second. Did you know on the city, I've chosen, there's a devotional every day, a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, Psalms, and New Testament, where you can go and you can read the Scripture and you can journal alongside. And as you seek Him in word and in prayer, that picture of the true God will slowly come into focus. Conclude with this thought. Image determines action. The crowd had a defective image and they missed it. I don't want you guys to miss it this week. We want a king who will serve us, but praise be to God, he didn't listen to us. He didn't send us what we wanted. He sent us what we needed. The royal King Jesus who laid down his life to save us. Let us worship the true king. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you.